Coming up on your favorite podcast, they get a chance to hang out with Allison again. We're going to do a little pod pari. Uh, the re- uh, response from her first visit was terrific, so we wanted to get her back on. Going to hit on a couple of different topics. She had an article about New Year's resolutions in her recent uh, post. Also talked a little Russell Wilson. So we're going to get into both of those con- uh, conversations today. But also I wanted to ask her a couple of movie questions. One of them being about uh, Tom Cruise being the last movie star and maybe getting a little conversation about um, how we view our movie stars today versus uh, in previous times. And David Tepper uh, throwing a drink at a fan. That was funny. We enjoyed that. We have to talk about what he is as an owner. He hasn't been here very long, but I feel like he's already moved to like worst owner in the league conversation, uh, along with some other things. She actually watched The Warriors based on our peak cinema, so I want to get her thoughts on that one as well. A lot to cover tonight on our Pod Pari episode with Allison. Up next. Hey, 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 it's the Tim Anderson Podcast. I'm Tim. That is my buddy Allison on the other side of my computer screen, I'm sure from her. And I want to say palatial estate like Ty or like Zach, because I'm not sure. I can't, I can't speak to the palatial estate that Allison lives in, but I'm sure it's in an undisclosed location in a certain part of town, not far from... From me, not far from the world, I'm sure. Hey, Allison, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. Well, it did well. You know, people responded. They liked having uh, your perspective on things on the pod. Numbers were good. It was good having you. So that's a sign to the world. I listen to my audience. When my audience says we need more Allison, I try to give them more. So you're back. Here you are. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. I wanted to say something really quickly, and it's going to be so petty, but just let me do it. So when I talked about Duran Duran in the past episode, I called their song Invisible, Invincible. <laughs> and no one's going to catch that. No one's going to care. But I care. As a loyal Duran Duran fan, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't walk the streets with your Duran Duran fans if you got that wrong. Well, it's like you listen back and you're like, it's the first podcast I've ever done. And by the way, Tim, thank you for being such a great host during that. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work it. And I wanted to listen to it right away because, you know, it was a great episode. I was really having fun with it. And then I heard that. I'm like, did I really just? <laughs> <laughs> listen, if I had a nickel for every time I screwed something up on this podcast, I could retire. Uh, I, I mess up all the time on this thing. And I listen back. And I, even when I, I still broadcast, I still do sports. There's times I play the game back because I'm trying to get better and I'm always trying to like care about the craft. And I'm like, man, that's that's brutal. I got to be better on the next time around. You, we're just the we're, the we're our harshest critics, Allison. That's how of this course. works. Oh, you nitpick everything you do. You yeah, know? It, you're never content. And I don't think anybody who's ever good at things is content. At least they shouldn't be. That's kind of mm-hmm. my thought. And I'm not even saying I'm good at it, but I'm definitely not content. That's for sure. A lot of things you can say about me. You can't say I'm content. Uh, Happy New Year for those of you who have not had a chance to catch our pod since we started the new year. Had Zach on earlier this week doing baseball, doing football. And now uh, today we have Allison as we get rolling into 2024. Speaking of that, you, uh, first of all, before we get into your article, you saw the Warriors. You finally watched the Warriors based on our Peak Cinema episode. It's a cult classic. It's one of Tim's picks. It's one of my all-timers. My mother can't believe that it's one of my all-timers, but it is. Uh, you watched it. 
let me hear your thoughts. You're the film expert. I defer to you on this one. Yeah, so I watched The Warriors last night, um, and it gave me huge... First off, the first thing I thought about it was, this is very much like a Clockwork Orange. Like, baby's first Clockwork Orange. It's not as violent, believe it or not. It is not as uh, complex. But, you know, when you look at the gangs, when you looked at the very first 10 minutes and you saw all the gangs coming together, they're not like typical New York gangs. It's like... We have the mime gang and we have the baseball gang with the painted face and we have these purple vested people. And it's like, okay, I know exactly what kind of world this is. It's not like exactly as dystopian as a clockwork orange and just having a total 180 in the kind of world that, you know, it is. Um, It's like we took New York... And we just put little snippets of this is like a parallel universe to ours, you know, Um, which I really appreciated it. I I was like, I like it when a film gives a little character to something that it could have easily been very just cut and dry, straightforward, played it straight. And the Warriors did a good job with that. Um, Everyone's going to talk about, you know, the can you dig it scene. Oh, yes. You want me to say it again? It's one of my favorite lines, as you know. Everybody loves can you dig it. I asked Ryan and Lauren that question many times during our podcast, as you know. I almost opened up the conversation was, I can dig it. I can (laughs) dig this movie. Yes, I can dig it. I'm with you, guy, who I never saw again in another movie. But that was, yes, I dig it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm talking about a movie that did not play it straight and simple. If they treated the Cyrus character as just this archetypal, archetype type wise person and didn't give him that kind of jive speak, I don't think he would have been as likable. I think he had to be believable in that these people do look up to this guy. And And we'll follow him. Yeah. And we'll follow him. And the movie was able to do that in just the five, 10 minutes that he was on screen. Like, okay, yeah, I can see how people are like up to this guy and he didn't need that much backstory. So yeah, no, I thought it was um, awesome. It was dope. It's a dope film. It's one of those, again, it's ahead of its time. You know, you watch it, you go, they literally made this for $15, but, uh, it is, uh, but it, but it does everything that a movie should do in an hour and 35 minutes. Tells a story, uh, gets us entertained, has some characters. Yes, there's some problematic characters, but it's a movie about gangs. You don't expect the choir boys here. Uh, so I was, I, I'm on board with that. That's why I was like, well, how can you like an Ajax character? I'm not saying I do. I'm not saying I want to have a beer with Ajax. I'm just saying that, you know, he's a bad guy and I get it. It's, I'm an Ajax guy. So there you go. You know, I I think about like unlikable characters. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with this guy in real life, but to watch him is so entertaining. And it makes me think about why psychologically people are drawn to something like horror films. Or antiheroes, I was thinking too, right? Antiheroes. Like I wouldn't want to be in that position, but because I'm watching this in a movie, I am able to experience this in a safe way. You know, uh, and it's kind of like an imp of the perverse in that way where you, you, the imp of the perverse is an idea of like your brain is compelled to do something. It gives a little voice in your head. 
uh, to do something that you know you shouldn't do. But because you know you shouldn't do it, you're kind of curious about it. You know, it feeds into this like naughty kid kind of side of you. You're id, if you will. So to yeah. watch like Ajax, you know, going after that, you know, Mercedes rule in the park. Uh, obviously what he's doing is awful, but there's something kind of voyeuristic about seeing a guy go at it. And good for Mercedes rule. That was another kind of like, you know, feeling that I had of just good for you. You were an undercover cop and getting at him. He deserved it. He got his justice. Justice served. Yeah. Everybody loves justice. Huge deal. And I think that if he he did go after Mercedes rule and it did become an assault, I think it would have been a different situation. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. You know? Oh yeah. So anyway, I think we would have all said that you write You're onto something about the horror movie thing though, like being able to watch it. But my question is then why would you go and do like those, those really immersive haunted houses, right? If you're, you know, that, cause I think your theory on horror movies is accurate. Like people watch horror movies and they watch crime dramas because they love this idea of watching from a safe distance and maybe seeing come up and set the end or seeing, uh, some justice be served at the end of it. I do think there's something to be said for that. But how do you explain then like the horror, the haunted house, haunted hayride, immersive, scary haunts where, you know, the actors can touch the person and all of that sort of thing? Like, how do you explain that phenomenon, which seems to be a, a weird kind of underground thing that's out there? Well, I think that's a matter of firstly, I think it's more like theater, than a movie or anything like that. So again, you're getting that experience where you know what you're getting into and you know it's a performance. You know these guys aren't going to actually kill you. That pig-headed man with a chainsaw isn't actually going to get at you. And in regards to the touching and, you know, like the blackout type haunted houses, they're not going to do anything that you do not consent to. In fact, those experiences, they say up front, Hey, listen, if we are pushing too far, here's your safe word. Say it. We'll stop the experience. No questions asked. There's um, a really controversial haunted house out there. And it's got. I just saw the documentary on the guy, the really bad guy. I saw that recently. That one was bad. I saw that one like about a month ago. You're talking about McKamey Manor? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And firstly, I think that his shtick is dying down. Like I I see these YouTube videos of people um, let me think of my words, dissecting McKamey Manor. And what he's up to is mainly fraudulent. Like he's not I would argue that's true. He's not actually doing the stuff that he's doing anymore. Now, once upon a time, I think he was doing that kind of like crossing boundaries, putting people in freezers and, you know, making them eat things that they didn't know what they were putting in their mouths, that kind of gross stuff. But, you know, the McKamey Manor, that is a different ball of wax. Like the horror, the haunted house community does not subscribe to that mythology at all. That kind of thing at all. No. Yeah, it does feel like there is like a that he's sort of a a lone wolf, if you will. Like, yeah, he got really big on YouTube and got really big in the kind of social media world, but like most haunted house folks are kind of 
haunted hayride, haunted house, scaring haunt industry folks are like that. Ah, this guy's not a real dude. That's giving us all a bad name kind of thing. That's what that documentary sort of came to. At least that was my my version of it. Now, what documentary did you see? Because I might have heard of it. I might have seen it. Might it was yeah, it was recent. What was it called? The um, it was like Monster, you know, something like that. Monster House, something. I gotta look that up because it was like a Hulu based. I think it was on Hulu. Okay. Uh, let me see if I can find that for you as we keep talking. So yes, I are you a big haunted house person? Do you do that a lot in the Halloween season? Are you big on that? You know, not really. Um. And largely because I am not a huge jump scare person, if you can believe Neither that. Neither am I. Not a huge jump scare person. But it has crossed my mind to be part of a haunted house. When I was in Binghamton uh, during college, that was something that was offered to college students. Um, the only thing I couldn't do about it was I, I couldn't drive to these haunted houses. I couldn't be able to. But it certainly crossed my mind like that would be fun. Yeah, you could easily play like Morticia Adams. Like you're tall, skinny. You could totally get away with that. You could totally do the Morticia Adams thing. I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah, it's called Monster Inside, America's Most Extreme Haunted House. Okay. Uh, that was that story right there. Kind of interesting one. Um, well, to be continued on that one. We'll let you have a chance to watch that. You can come back, chat with us again. Um you made a you put an article out right away about kind of New Year's resolutions about coming out and starting the new year fresh. Like this is sort of that time for everybody where hope springs eternal, whatever that may be. You get a chance to start over. I already know that I've abandoned half of them and probably seven of the Ten Commandments. So I've already broken all kinds of things to start the year already five days in. Um, but what do you you know, what went into your process of trying to set a resolution this year? And talk about your article a little bit for everybody. You can find, by the way, at medium.com, Allison Wanchoba at uh, dot medium, or was it Allison slash Wanchoba at medium.com? Yeah, medium.com, my uh, handle is Allison dash Wanchoba. There you go. Thank you find all of her stuff. And she wrote a bunch this week. You were at, you were getting after it here. This I want to get more. Yeah, I'm getting at it. Anyway, um, so my resolutions article. I decided to write about it because I know that just the kind of mindset that we are collectively at at this time is trying to get our act together, if you will. Like January 1st, now I can do everything I didn't want to do from last year. And now I'm going to be productive. Now I'm going to whatever, read every day, write every day, go to the gym. But what we don't realize when we do that is, first law, first, we don't change overnight, you know, and we have to respect that. Uh, the other thing, too, is when I was writing that article, I was thinking, okay, what are the issues that a lot of people run into when they create their resolutions? And something that I feel is we like to set unrealistic goals. And it is in that kind of vein of we try to look at everything from last year of what we didn't do and what we want to do. I want to make the perfect Allison. How do I do that? But you have to look at what you are capable of right now and build off on that. I think that's a good place to start, right? Yeah. I, I think we'll get, you're right. That's kind of what does us in around the first of the year is that we want to make these changes, but like we haven't done 
any of the steps to make those changes. We just tell ourselves we're going to do that. But a lot of that stuff is a process. A lot of that stuff requires a lot of undoing bad wiring. We talk about people going to therapy because they have mental health issues, things of that nature, that you can't just say, well, be happy. Well, you know, ah, well, just get over your anxiety. Those things don't just happen overnight. They require, you know, sometimes medication. They require therapy. They require a day-to-day process. They require support systems. And uh, there's too many people out there that get to this time of year and want to make changes without those support systems kind of being in place for them. And usually does you in about five, six days in. Case in point, me, all of my all of my resolutions out the window, seven of the Ten Commandments, I'm um, sure several sections of the Minnesota Penal Code, all that <laughs> stuff out the window, out the window in the first uh, six days of uh of the of the year i've already sped on the highway i've already probably ran a red light or two i mean there's all kinds of nonsense don't give away yourself too much tim don't give well i don't want them to know where i'm sure they've got it all figured out i'm sure there's can't you know what i've also learned allison i gotta share this with you too speaking of new year's stuff that kind of scares me a little bit well and just maybe not quite new year's but so recently i had a friend of mine who uh tried to update one of my kind of my TV boxes wanted to point me to something and say, Hey, look at all, I can get you access to all these live cameras, these live cameras at various places, like the live camera of the giant panda exhibit at the China, you know, in the China zoo or whatever in Beijing, um, or get you uh, Times square, get you in the camera at Times square, get you looking at the live feed of what's going on at Times square and all these other places throughout the world. And I'm kind of like, I, I feel weird about it. I feel weird when you showed me all these different camera views. I was kind of like, I feel kind of weird about this. And here's why. I don't know if I want to watch, you know, a market in Bangkok, Thailand. Number one, I don't know if I want to. But two, I don't want to know that that camera exists. Like, I feel like I knew <laughs> in my heart of hearts that that camera already existed and that I'm recorded everywhere I go and that I'm constantly being filmed. I'm pretty aware of that. But I guess there's, there's, what is that? Uh, ignorance, blissful ignorance. I'd rather just not know. I'd rather just act like it's not happening versus like actually seeing it happening in front of me. I don't know. But I, I the big brother effect what really came into me. It almost scared me a little bit seeing all of that. Cause I'm like, oh God, we truly are being watched everywhere we go. That's a scary thought. I, I don't know where you, where you come down on some of this stuff, but um, that was one of the things that I noticed right away. And it actually almost made me like, I don't know. I kind of got a little nervous about it. I kind of cowered in a corner for a half hour. Like, I don't want to leave the house ever again. I'm being watched everywhere I go. I can't do this. There's um, a Susie and the Banshees song called Monitor that is very much about what you are talking about. And it was on the album called Juju, which was made in like the 70s. Um, and it was made to talk about the CCTV situation in London. You know, London has all of these cameras everywhere, security cameras. And Susie was like, we're free entertainment. Don't turn us off kind of thing, kind of jokey, nudge, nudge. Now, my age, you know, 96. So I I grew up right at the birth of the internet and going forward where, you know, I know that all of these apps, you know, TikTok and Facebook and all that, they're all monitoring us. Every little thing. We say something out loud. And what do you know? An ad pops up on our phone showing us the thing we were talking about. Oh my gosh. 
So uh, for me and my generation, I feel like we're kind of not necessarily accepting of the fact that we're always being surveilled, but we're also in kind of a learned helplessness. There's nothing we can do. And to a point, I think that we need to have some level of monitoring in our society to just keep things going. Like, imagine uh, there was um, a car crash at the intersection of 65 and 109th Avenue in Blaine. What a shock. Weird that they have those. No no way. No way. Anyway, keep going. Nobody knows that outside of the state. Nobody knows that, but that keep going. Okay. Um, It's a, it's an intersection near my house. Um, There's an intersection near my house. And uh, yeah. 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 Oh man, we live closer together than we thought. There you go. Dear God, boy. There you go. It's almost like we're friends. It's weird. So (laughs) weird, Allison. No, I mean, like, there was footage of these car accidents. There was a fatality. And, I mean, like, you could catch who did the crash and all of that. If there was no camera there, then the, you know, justice process would be far more drawn out. So, I mean, like, things like that where crimes are being committed or or accidents or, or whatever you have there's like a record of those kind of things which i do appreciate but it all boils down to one thing and this is so key what are you doing with that information that you are collecting from us you know are you using it to brainwash us into you know thinking a certain way liking a certain way are you using it to you know sell and inform- i don't want to get you know too deep but it's like that kind of trust that kind of sense of not only are you recording what I say and do and where I am, but I don't know what you're doing with all of that information. And that is what scares me. And you don't know how secure that information is. So like no. the government can take your stuff, okay, but can something take that information from the government, some black market, some deep web creepy people, and you know they're out there. Yeah. Look at the anyway. list on Epstein Island last week. <laughs> oh my, that was that was something. That was funny that Stephen Hawking was on it. Like, I don't, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I, I'm curious about that one, but keep going. Finish your thought on this one. <laughs> I mean, like, no, I mean, it, it's just the matter of. I think it is a generational thing. Like, certain generations are more distrustful of being monitored all the time. You know, like my parents' generation, my grandparents they are going to be a lot more like, leave me alone. What are you doing? And then people my age are like, you know what? Welcome to 2024, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm in the old, I'm in the old school a little bit on that because I think to myself, man, if there was a record of the stupid things I said when I was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and there was like a visual evidence of every dumb thing I've ever done, I mean, good God, I would never live it down. I mean, there never would be a podcast. There wouldn't be anything. There'd be websites probably out there saying Anderson's a horrible guy. You know, I can't imagine um, being a high schooler and feeling like you have your whole life recorded everywhere you go, everything you do, monitored. Same thing with being an adult in your 20s. I don't know like how you can, I mean, it's probably good that it's there, I guess. I guess, I guess you can make enough cases as to why that's positive, but man, I just don't like to, I'm just, occasionally, I'm just happy to not, I'll act like it's not there. 
I'll act like it's not happening when well, I actually see to. it. Well, you have yes. to. Hundred um, percent. I think our relationship with technology and information is going to change dramatically over time. I certainly hope so. Like you, you talking about the stuff you said at eighteen and so on. If that got out, you wouldn't live it down. Well. You know, I think about people who are being raised in influencer families where oh their stupid parents put their entire lives on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and show all of the stupid things that their kids do because they're young. And it's like, OK, these kids are someday going to have to get a job, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if they're really out there on the Internet even the parents uh, who do not monitor their children as they should and they don't record them and they don't put them online, but their kids are going to act a fool on the Internet. They're also going to have to find jobs to a point we have to say, you know, as employers, as people in the future, like, listen, people change as they get older, I think we have to have some kind of leniency when we see, yes, you did a stupid thing online. Yes, you said a stupid thing, X, Y, and Z, but we live in a certain time. We have yeah. to let it go. Yeah, I get that. We have to, I do think that the relationship that you know people have with, I agree, their technology or their history. I mean, you're one of those generations of grew up basically with your life broadcast online, unless your parents took the right path and maybe limited some of that. But like every childhood picture and, you know, every silly video, I mean, you've, you know, you live in this spotlight almost when you're young. It's kind of, I, I think there was like seven pictures of me when I was younger, thank God. Uh, but man, could I just couldn't imagine it now. Like be a picture on there every day. Oh, you know, I, you know, Two more pants for the first time ever. Here's that. First time ever you wore that. Oh, first time you wore, first time you wore no pants. There, there's a good, there's a, we we'll get that picture online too. Oh, look at that. Yeah. I don't want to have that life. It's, it's scary stuff for me, Allison. You know that. I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was um, something that happened to me this week that I made me like, oh, new year, new scary stuff, new scary thoughts. Forget the resolutions. Those things frighten the hell out of me. Well, yeah, the <laughs> larger world, how it's changing. I get it. Yeah. I, yeah, It's scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm still you know, just like what you said. I since that list came out, I'm trying to process how did Stephen Hawking get on Epstein Island and what the hell could he have possibly done out there? I have no idea. To uh, credit, but, I don't think he was actually on Epstein Island. I think more likely Jeffrey Epstein name dropped him. Because all of those lists, we have to give credit where credit is due. It's all alleged. Yeah, it's all, you know, we don't know. They, we right. just know that he's a bad guy mm -hmm. and there's names attached to a bad guy, which of course makes you, you know, whatever. But um, I still think there's more to come on that list. Uh, there's more to come on that stuff. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm interested with the fact that, that there are some folks that have kind of kept that sort of quiet, you know, that don't want to talk about it. But I'm like, there's some pretty ugly stuff there that I think if we, if anybody wants to let that out, could ruin some folks and could dramatically change the way we look at um, politicians, celebrities, and, and and big money influencers in general. So it, it's an interesting, I, I'm fascinated to watch that play itself out. I'd love to see more. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you had a chance to watch some football last weekend like I did. 
So I wanted to, we're going to kind of flip flop a little bit. I'm going to ask you a football question. Then we'll kind of go back into some entertainment stuff and then back to football. We'll do some different things. You caught the David Tepper throwing a drink at the Jacksonville Jaguar fan, I'm assuming. Oh, I've seen that floating around social media. Yeah, I know of it. I didn't watch the actual game, but yeah. You saw the footage of him kind of throwing the drink. He was yeah. fined, I think, $300,000 or whatever it was of the organization. Yeah, a little slap was. in the wrist. A little slap <laughs> yeah, in the wrist. Was, yeah, he's got that in his back pocket. He probably found that in the couch cushions or whatever and just went ahead and he's like, ah, fine, here, take that. A sweaty roll of $300,000 to the NFL office. Um, with Daniel Snyder selling the Washington Cobra Commanders, did David Tepper pick up the mantle as worst owner in the NFL after only owning the team for like six years? He's only been there like a little while. Is he now officially the worst owner in football? Or dare I say worst owner in professional sports? Is he there? Wow. Um, My knowledge of sports owners over the entirety of professional sports in America is limited. But I can certainly say without question that David Tepper, yeah. I mean, you talk to um you talk to a Carolina Panthers fan and say, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing about your team tonight that would drastically improve the situation for you, not entirely fix everything, but drastically improve, what would you do? They would say, get rid of David Tepper. Get rid of him. And you know, you look at those six years. And you see that none of these years had a winning record, uh, if I recall. I don't think they went to the playoffs once. And, you know, you're getting Adam Thielen on there, who was a decent, you know, decent wide receiver. You're putting money down for, like, Bryce Young and, and, you know, these players. Like, you're trying to put money in, but you're making these decisions that are like, okay, at, at a certain point where you're tanking these season and you can't even get fans to spend 50 cents to see your game. Rain be damned. I don't care that that was the factor. You saw that stadium. Yeah, I did. Nobody was there. No one was there. At a certain point, it just feels like money laundering. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you just have to wonder, like, why are you really holding on to this team? Because you clearly don't care. And, you know, you think about, like, if I were, you know, Roger Goodell or someone, like, overall seeing the whole thing, the whole operation, I feel like there comes a certain point where, listen, you have produced bad football for too long. I'm stepping in. I'm asking questions. Because at the end of the day, the Carolina Panthers' record, being that it is for as long as it has been, you're holding this community of fans hostage. And any player wouldn't want to seriously play for the Carolina Panthers if this is how you're running your operation. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if you're Adam Thielen and you come from Minnesota and you go to Carolina for, you know, I'm assuming a big paycheck, bigger paycheck, whatever. Um, And what you're seeing are empty stands losing week in, week out. How can that feel good? 
I'm sorry. And the word is that the owner's a bit meddling too. Like, do you really want to see your owner coming down into the locker room after games and swearing up a storm? And then you read reports that the guy was worth billions, literally billions. He's one of the, maybe the five richest guys in the league um, is just being such a crybaby about everything that he's tossing drinks at fans. And I mean, if you're one of those guys that works in that organization, like, like you're looking around going like, what are we, what are we doing here actually? Like what, what is our end game for all of this? Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have to create a good product. And my personal take on bad football teams is like, if you're bad for a year or two years, even I feel bad for the fan base, but it's bound to happen. Every year has bad teams, whatever. There you go. Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to have a toilet bowl. There you go. But if you are consistently having bad football, or even if you have like too many bad football teams, I think there has to be a balance. Like look at the NFC South, where a lot of those teams, like those fan bases are not happy. You it's been a while for in. some of those teams. Yeah, yeah you got to step in. And you got to say, listen. We have to improve the product in certain places. we got to put a little bit more attention on these areas, on these teams, X, Y, and Z. Now, I don't know how the upper NFL part, you know, the David Goodell level operates, but I feel like that's how it kind of should to a point. You don't want it to be big brother, but yeah, you get the do. cameras out. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> They have We're enough- watching David Tepper from every every angle at our house. Like, oh, David Tepper's walking into the uh, organizational building today. He's carrying a Starbucks. Oh boy! Yeah. I, you know what's interesting about this? Here's my theory on this. I don't know. What do you think? So these rich guys that own these teams, they they get rich because either they inherit it through their family or they're successful businessmen. But either way, they've never failed at anything in their lives, right? They're so used to being the cat's ass. They're so used to being everybody's favorite person or the guy who always made the right decisions, those kinds of things. Like competitive sports is, has got a way of like humbling everybody. And I get the vibe that there are owners who are okay to make money. Like, you know, maybe the Oakland A's owner or something like that. Okay to make a couple million. Don't want to invest it back into the ball club. Just cool with making the profits that they are. But I think when you get into the NFL, it's about like winning because everybody gets a big chunk of the revenue. Like he's going to make money whether they win or they lose. So this is about like how do you look on TV? So I would assume that for him or for guys like Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft, like this is a it's a bit of a shoe size contest, right? Like you have to prove that you're the you know br- smartest among the among these rich guys and these rich owners. It makes me think that his anger is not coming from frustration because the team's not winning. It's coming from the fact that he's having to look at himself as not successful or less than some of these other owners around him. You know, do you think there's something to that? Yeah. To your point about these rich guys, uh, never failing or being the cat's pajamas forever. Um, the thing about being, like a billionaire is that, yeah, you do make these huge gambles to get where you are. Some of these gambles work out, some do not. And the thing with the NFL, excuse me, the thing with the NFL is that your failures 
are very public. You know, you, you own the Carolina Panthers and it is very clear that you're having a losing record. You're, is a, you have a stinker team, you know? So I think that's where it's coming from. I think there's some truth to that. And, and I think that's where I think Tepper is getting frustrated. He paid billions. Like he didn't get in on the ground floor. You know, he's not one of these guys that paid, you know, 400 million for the franchise and now could turn around and tell it for, sell it for six. Like he bought it for two or three billion. So his turnaround isn't going to be what everybody else is. Daniel Snyder bought the Washington, you know, commanders, Redskins, the organization in the nineties for a couple hundred million dollars. And he, for doing absolutely nothing but acting like a jerk, sold it for six. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And so he's probably looking around feeling like, man, I got into this market of Carolina. I'm not in, I'm not in a high price market. I can't even turn around this thing and make a huge profit. I can make a profit, but I don't know if I can make a huge profit. And I'm, I'm being laughed at, I'm being criticized. And now I'm, you know, I, I got to think it boiled over on him a little bit over last yeah. Sunday, but you know what? Tough, tough breaks, pal. That's how it goes. That way to go. You still got billions. Nobody feels sorry for you around here. No one feels sorry for you. And the thing is, the Carolina Panthers are not worth what David Tepper bought them for anymore. You could not sell the Carolina Panthers for billions. Oh, I think you could. I still think you could because it's, well, yeah, it's the NFL. Yeah, because it's the NFL. You, it's think about it. You're buying. It's kind of like when people say, "Well, who would coach that football team?" You know, when they fire a coach, like we're going to have Black Monday coming up on Monday, where six, seven more coaches are going to get fired. Yeah. Um. And everybody would be like, well, who would want to go coach there? I'm like, a lot of people will because there's only 32 of these. And when you have something that's that small and it's that kind of opportunity and they're going to pay you three, four, five, six million dollars a year. Yep, you'll do it. So there has got to be some billionaire out there who would say, boy, I'd love to get a piece of that. Would love to get in on that because it's a status symbol. It's whatever. Now, but I say this though, could he turn around and get three times three x four x the money which some of these guys some of these guys are cashing out for 10x you know mark cuban sold out his majority stake of the dallas mavericks for three billion dollars and he bought it for 185 so Mm. he's making 20 30 40x on the dollar i don't know if that's what tepper would get if he tried to sell carolina he might get 2x might get you know an x and a half which may not be worth it to him at that point. And he's only been in the league six years. I think he wants to see this ride all the way to the top if he can. Oh, but God, I hope it, not. <laughs> it's got to get better, though, doesn't it? It's it, <laughs> If I lived in Carolina, I'd be freaking miserable right now. I mean, at a certain point, you feel like he would just pull a major league and just move the team. Oh, God, I mean, no. I don't think he should. I really hope he doesn't. But that seems like a David Tepper-esque bullshit move eventually. See, I thought the worst owner in the league was going to be Mark Davis from, from Vegas, or I thought it would be uh, Jimmy Haslam from, from Cleveland. Um, Tepper has surpassed all of those guys uh, and and is on his way. Um, and who knows, maybe uh, David Penner, the, the Walton group in Denver might make a run at it too before it's all said and done. But yeah, it's not looking great for my guy Dave down in Carolina. Yeah, no. um, I watched a video the other day. Now we spin back. Here's This is how okay. we do this. Ready? Here we go. Okay. Yeah, we went from sports. Now we're going to go back entertainment. Keep the pod puree moving here. 
There you go. I watched a video the other day, and I actually think there's some truth to this, about the difference sort of between movie stars and actors. When I think of movie stars, you think of these sort of iconic, they are famous because they are movie stars. And then you think there are then there are actors, people who are like into the craft, who do it because they're good actors, but you don't hold them up as icons. You just hold them up as great actors. Like, for example, the, the video I watched talked about how Tom Cruise might be the last movie star, mm-hmm. might be the, the last guy that is famous for doing movies and doing these epic classic movies. Uh, Meanwhile, and I'm like, man, is that true? And then you start looking around and you're like, well, I don't know if anybody else currently has that kind of cachet or who will grow to that. I mean, I don't think of Miles Teller as the future movie star. I don't think of him as that. I think of him as an actor. I'm like, what about Leo? I'm like, Leo, I think is an actor. You know, he's a chameleon. He plays lots of different roles. He jumps into lots of different things. Meanwhile, you see Tom Cruise. Doesn't usually wear a lot of stage make. You know, he's, he kind of looks the same. He's sort of the same guy in every movie and it kind of works. And then you start going backwards and thinking about all the movie stars versus celebrities. Like I think of Al Pacino as an actor. I think of Clint Eastwood as a movie star. Mm. You know, that's sort of my thought. Um, I think of uh, I think of Harrison Ford as a movie star. I think of like Denzel Washington as an actor or Tom Hanks as an actor who do lots of different things. You know, maybe Hanks, you could argue, is a bit of a movie star, but I, I'm trying to find that line between what's the difference. I'm wondering if you subscribe to that theory. And if you don't think Tom Cruise is the last movie star, who is the next movie star? Okay, yeah. So um, firstly... I think that Tom Cruise is in a league of his own. He came from an era where movies were so much different than they are now. Our relationship with movies now versus in the 90s where, you know, you could have a big blow up blockbuster type action flick paired with, you know, a 90 minute like buddy comedy, whatever. You know, you were more casual with the movies. You aren't seeing that as much anymore. Um, but that said, you are still using actors' names to sell movies. I don't want to see this movie uh, if it doesn't have Timothy Chalamet in it, you know, but because it does, okay, I'll check it out. You know, that kind of thing. Or Kevin Hart. I think of the same way with Kevin Hart. Uh, I think the same way with Joaquin Phoenix, who, again, I would say is an actor and not a movie star. But you are still seeing people, you know, selling movies for their names. With that said, our relationship with celebrities has really changed over time. Because, you know, when Tom Cruise is really in his height, and frankly, I don't think he is at his height anymore. I think he can still sell Mission Impossible, you know, tickets, fine. But I think he is no longer like the big bad. And I think partly due to the Scientology tie uh, that has to do with it. But when I look at, you know, the fact that you can go on Instagram 
and Facebook and Twitter and even YouTube and you can look up your favorite celebrity right there. You don't have to wait till they see um uh you know on the screen, right? Or the e entertainment movie premiere whatever. They're much more accessible now and for a reason, you know, it it becomes a parasocial relationship now. You yeah. know? Um where you want to get close to them and you almost feel like you can, like you almost feel like you have the, this, you're on the same level because, well, Hey, I'm a celebrity too. I've been on Facebook my whole life, you know, and been in front of cameras everywhere I go. We're the same, uh, those guys. And it's like, it, that used to not be the case. You know, they I used think to of be my gra- absolutely untouchable. Yes. You know, way out like, there. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about like my grandfather would always say this, like, my grandfather would watch a John Wayne movie and think and and it didn't matter what the plot was. First of all, John Wayne basically played the same guy in every movie, like every movie and it didn't matter. Like everybody just wanted to see I'm like that's a movie star. That is a guy that is doesn't matter if he's a good actor or not, has nothing to do with it. Doesn't matter the plot. Like it's an everyman. It's a guy that people want to be. Like everybody who goes to those movies just imagines themselves as John Wayne for 90 minutes. Like that's what it is. That's a movie star. Uh, and I think of like him and Clint Eastwood when they do Westerns and then they do cop movies and it's like, oh yeah, those guys are kind of badass. Yeah. You, I get it. I guess I get it. I mean, do you see, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know if there's a lot of those guys anymore. Cruz might be the last guy where you'd say like, yeah, Cruz is, oh, Cruz, badass. You know, that you guy's know, a badass. You know, I, you talk about the everyman as being a movie star. Like, like you can put him in any role and you see such and such name. And yep. the name that came up in my mind, like for present day, is Chris Pratt. Now, mm. Chris Pratt, you know, he was voicing, you know, Mario in the Super Mario movie. And a lot of people gave him like, really? You're going to put Chris Pratt in this? Why? He doesn't fit the role. But you watch Chris Pratt not to watch a character, but to watch Chris Pratt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to a point, you know, I think the same with Ryan Reynolds. uh, Reynolds has that possibility. He could be one of those guys. Now, again, with uh, movies that can just go straight to Netflix or, or, you know, are in theaters for shorter periods of time, you can't really say, oh, such and such name brings in billions of dollars. You know, like, yes and no. I think to get the billions of dollars, you at least need an ensemble cast. Like, think about any superhero movie, which I'm glad those are dying off. I'm sorry, but. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. I think we are entering a new, more arty, experimental, to say the least, era. Like, even if you think about the Barbie movie, uh, where Ryan Gosling is another example of a guy who I would say is movie star-esque. Even Margot Robbie, movie star-esque. Movie star adjacent. Yeah, they're kind of near the movie star line, I would say. And I don't even think that's a bad thing. It's not like, oh, you haven't made it yet. Like, no, you've made it, but like you're... How you aren't iconic movie? yet. I can't put you in the iconic stage yet. Yeah, yeah. But I love everything that they're in. But anyway, with Barbie, sure. uh, it was directed, it was written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And it 
kind of had a different vibe to it than what you might expect as far as the story goes. Um, It was a little bit more heady, cerebral, uh, metaphorical and symbolic. And we have a message to this movie. Oh, and we're going to have some humor in it that's cleverly written. That's what I got from the Barbie movie. Even though it was like this billion dollar hit, you know, it wasn't just pandering to the audience to the nth degree. Pandering? Yeah. But not to the nth degree. You know, and that's just in a different era, a different standard of movie that we are entering. I'm trying to think of what the formula is for movie star, because actors can act, right? Actors can act forever. What is the formula, do you think, for movie star? Obviously, I think longevity. Uh, you got to do it for a long, long time. In the case of Cruise, we've been watching Tom Cruise now going on 40 years which is hard to believe that we've been watching 40 some odd years of Tom Cruise movies. And he still looks like he's 26 years old, which is a little bit irritating, but like Harrison Ford uh, has been making movies. We're on, we're moving on 50 years of Harrison Ford. Uh, We had a 20, 20 some odd year run of John Wayne. We had, you know, Clint Eastwood for 50, 60 years. Um, It's so I think there's a level element of longevity that goes into it. But what else do you think goes into it? Like, what are we looking at when I when I break? Because Al Pacino's got a forty year career, fifty year career. Robert De Niro's got a fifty year career. Do I think of those guys the same way I think of Tom Cruise? I don't know if I do. I almost hold them in a different place. Like I, like I think of them more as just guys who act or actors who are like different. They're just different. They're actors. I don't know what to make of those guys. And am I wrong on that? Could I consider De Niro a movie star? Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, need the like, formula. I don't, I don't think that Robert De Niro has that auteur vibe about him, but he is like, doesn't he do method? I know Al Pacino did. Does. Yeah. You yes. know, okay. Maybe and that's so, the difference. So if your uh, process is very much out in the open and you clearly take your craft seriously and consistently, and that's part of your brain, like think about Christian Bale, you know? Yeah. It is very publicized that he will lose 100 pounds, gain 100 pounds for a role, that he will do this, that, and the other for a role. And it pays off because he gets all these awards and accolades and attention and, oh, he's really good in this role, so he can do no wrong. But then you look at someone like Jared Leto, who also tried to go the method actor route for something like Suicide Squad, and he was just seen as an absolute clown understandably so because it was clearly done for the attention you know what i mean um but to your point about the movie star formula again i think it has to balance with okay what is your on-screen presence and what is your off-screen presence and are you captivating to the public in both arenas I think that has... Yeah, go ahead. And, you know, if you talk about Harrison Ford, I mean, there's not much publicly out there about Harrison Ford. He lives a pretty quiet life in what? Jackson Hole, Wyoming? God bless him. Good for him. He's like a pilot. He's a carpenter. You know, he's this sort of... Maybe that's the everyman quality. I don't know. But you feel like everything he does, he does himself. I don't know. There's something like that. Yeah, like... 
You know, you don't see the person, but when you do, it's a treat. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because it doesn't mean they do great movies. Like I think Burt Reynolds like is a movie star because he can do something as simplistic as Smokey and the Bandit and make millions. And you watch him on screen and you're just like, there's nothing to this movie. There's really nothing to this movie. This is the most simplistic movie ever made. And yet I can't stop watching it. And it is like the most rewatchable film ever. Speaking of which, I might need to put that on my peak cinema list. I might need to move a movie off my peak cinema list and put that one on. Because we got to argue about this. Like he's so, it's such a simplistic plot, but yet it doesn't have to be complex because it's him. It's Burt freaking Reynolds. You know, which makes me think like Adam Sandler is more of a movie star than an actor, right? Because his plots were paper thin in the 90s and it didn't matter. Like we were in on every Sandler movie. But the problem is, is I think the star dies out. There's not the longevity, even though he still makes stuff. It's on a different level than what he used to. Well, Adam Sandler now is so drastically different than Adam Sandler of the 90s in terms of respectability. Um, and that's not a slight on Adam Sandler. I think that the products that he creates now with Happy Madison, or is it Happy Gilmore? Excuse me. Happy Madison. Combination. Happy, the- Happy Madison. Happy Gilmore was the movie. Thank you. Um, you know, it, it, it's clearly like, you know, product feeling. Um, but then yeah. you'll see him do something like Uncut Gems, which was fantastic if you haven't seen it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but it's, that to me is like good acting. That's that's not movie star stuff. It's like good acting stuff. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm trying to find the line. I'm really trying to find this formula because I can't. It's like an it. Somebody who just has like an it factor, and I don't know what the it factor is. Like I would have thought Robert Downey Jr. before he just decided I'm going to do 20 years of Tony Stark. I think Robert Downey Jr. could have been a was like a movie star. Because he wasn't like this overly complex actor. He just did stuff and you just wanted to watch him do stuff. Mel Gibson, I think early on had a stretch where I thought of Mel Gibson as a movie star because he had a presence, an it factor. You watch Braveheart, you can't take your eyes off of him. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, I just don't know who has that that factor to him. You mentioned Pratt a little bit. But like, I don't know, there's, I think there's a group of people who don't like watching Chris Pratt in anything, like don't want to see him. The Rock has, I think The Rock might be a movie star. The question is, is like, is that going to be sustained? Is it, are we already kind of seeing the bloom off that rose a little bit 15 years into his acting career? And again, I think part of that is because we have a different relationship with celebrities because you can see The Rock, you can see Chris Pratt, like everywhere. And, you know, discourse about these actors is everywhere. You know what I mean? Like having a level of privacy, like getting them away from us might actually be the best thing for an actor or to maybe separate those two things. Yeah, maybe. Might be a thought. I want to continue. We got to come up with a formula, you and I, on what makes a what makes a movie star versus an actor or whatever. Because I think this is a good conversation. I would argue it's the same thing between like a musician and a, like a pop star or a rock and roll star, right? To me, it's almost the difference between Britney Spears or uh, you know Michael. You know, Michael Jackson had talent, obviously too, but pop stars, guys who are transcendent, people just love them. They'll listen to anything. Taylor Swift might be a great example of like 
rock star, pop star versus musician. Mm-hmm. Like which there is are interesting, which is interesting because Taylor Swift writes her songs. True, like you can call her a legitimate musician, but her star power is just so through the roof that if she goes to a Chiefs game, we have to show her every five minutes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Like I guarantee you, they ain't flashing to Lizzo up there every five seconds, you know, or whatever. And even though Lizzo's trying to be a pop star too, but I'm trying to think of a musician, uh, Dave Matthews. They're not flashing to Dave Matthews every three minutes up there. That's that's not how it is, right? So uh, that's uh, it's kind of the difference that I'm trying to draw between those two things. All right, hang on. Let me hit the button for you because we're gonna go back to sports. Russell Wilson. Yep. Uh, you wrote an article on him. Should not be the Vikings quarterback, in your opinion. He is going to land somewhere, right? There's no way in a league where all of these quarterbacks are bad and we're on our second and third strings. We played like 80 guys this year. There's no way Russell Wilson doesn't end up on a team next year. And I would argue there's no way he doesn't not play at some point next season. Am I right? Oh, I think he'll play. You know, I th- I think he still deserves to stay in the NFL to a degree. I don't think he's a horrible quarterback. And frankly, the situation in Denver is, you know, how much of Russell Wilson's performance there was Russell Wilson being, what is he, 35 now, being in the league for 12 years, or Sean Payton being a dick? You know yeah, what actually, I, mean? I thought he actually played well. This The numbers are not bad on Russell Wilson this year. No, they're, really they're not. not. No, they're not. And we can't forget that there was a string of wins, you know, significant wins. They won against the Chiefs. They won against, you know, like there was some fire there where they clicked. But, you know, the Denver Broncos season is very similar to the Minnesota Vikings season. The only difference is the Denver Broncos never needed to get a backup quarterback because Russell Wilson stayed healthy. It's true. And durability is a thing. Like I always talk about your best abilities, availability. And that's where like somebody next year might say, Hey man, we just need a guy who's going to get on the field. We just need a guy who will play. Uh, we can't have these, you know, these years where there's three and four and five guys. We just can't have that again. And I think that's maybe the attraction for Minnesota, knowing that they probably don't have to pay him very much. Right. I mean, you think about what they'll have to pay. I mean, he's getting 35 mil from Denver, no matter what. Like that's mm-hmm. coming regardless. So he can sign for $2 million. Doesn't matter. He's getting paid $35 million from Denver. So you don't have to pay him a lot. And he can come in and maybe even start for you. I can see the attraction if you're Minnesota, especially if you're not going to pay Kirk. Now, obviously, that brings me to this question. Do you think they're paying Kirk? If I were Minnesota, I think that you have to think about the fact that you are in a rebuilding stage still. You have a head coach and GM pair that are only in their second season, so you have a future with them, especially given that they're young. And your quarterback situation, you still have to fine-tune. And if you lose against the Lions on Sunday, which is very likely, let's be real— then you have a better draft pick. And I think you take advantage of that draft pick and get a good, get a good rookie QB. Now, if you have a rookie QB, who would you rather train in? Train that QB in. Kirk Cousins, who has been with the team for years and has a really good relationship with everyone on that team, coaches, players, all of that. Or 
do you get a new guy? You get Russell Wilson. And that is my biggest reservation is Russell Wilson is on paper not significantly different from Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be a huge improvement. Their stats are kind of similar. Their ages are similar. Like you're not going to get 10 years out of Russell Wilson. You know what I mean? You're getting Russell Wilson to bring in another QB to follow him while in the interim get some games winning and maybe even a, you know, playoff contention, whatever. You know, so, and that's what it boils down to. Like, why get rid of Kirk? It's like a one in the hand versus two in the bush situation. You have a good system QB right now who, by the way, Justin Jefferson, like, sings his praises about Kirk Cousins to the point where it's like, will we will we keep Justin Jefferson if Kirk Cousins leaves? I really hope not. I don't think that Justin Jefferson should move, but you got to have results. And that to me means you have to build a future. And I would argue it's financial too, right? Yeah. There's there are major financial implications. Like I, I think of if you pay Kirk, Kirk's going to get $30 million on the market. Like that's just going to happen yeah. because even with the Achilles injury, look around the league. You know, look around at all the places that are like, boy, we need a quarterback in the worst possible way. Uh, You start looking around, you see like Giants could use a QB. The Jets, probably not if Rodgers comes back, obviously. So you throw them out. Okay, fine. The, The Falcons could use a quarterback. The Raiders could use a quarterback. The Broncos could use a quarterback. Yeah. The, I mean, you start just going down the line here and we're got seven, eight, nine teams that could be in the market to pay $30 million for a guy. And if you're Kirk, you're sitting there going, why would I take less than that? Even if I like it here and I do, why would I take less than that? You know, I, I can go get, you know, every single time that I've bet on myself, I've gotten 30 plus million dollars. Why would I continue to stop that process now? Why would I do that? And he's not wrong to think that way. He's not. And if you're Justin Jefferson and you want to be the highest paid wide receiver in the league, that's going to run us a pretty penny to do that. And Kirk needs $30 million a year and Derrissaw needs to get paid. I just wonder, like, I tell this to Ryan on the other pod, how do you do all of that? You know, how do you have the highest paid tight end in TJ Hawkinson? How do you have the highest paid lineman in Christian Derrissaw? How do you have the highest paid wide receiver in Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, who's maybe not the highest paid, but he's like top 10? I don't know how you have all of those pieces at the same time. I don't think you can. So something's got to give. I just don't know what that is. And I don't know where you give it. I agree with you. I think the rookie quarterback is the way to go because you can always reset your clock and start over. And on that rookie contract for a quarterback is where you make your hay in this league. But I don't know. I, I just don't know how you make all of that happen. Um, but putting but putting it to you, gun to your head, you'd say, let's do Kirk. Let's try to get this done. Yeah, for sure. And now I, I, I think that if I were Kirk, I think that, yes, there is an attraction to going to a different team and getting more than what you would get in Minnesota. With that said, I think that 
your relationship with a coach is a huge factor in whether or not you are staying. And is his relationship with KOC good? It seems like it is. And if he leaves, then he has to build a new relationship with a new head coach. And I don't know if that is entirely worth it, given that, listen, if I stay in Minnesota, I've been like loyal to Minnesota forever. I have a good relationship with my quarter, my team. I have a good relationship with my coaching staff. I think I should stay in Minnesota and hone in the next quarterback before I potentially move on and do like an Aaron. Think of Aaron Rodgers. Think of Aaron Rodgers for a minute. He was with the Green Bay Packers until they were sick of him, right? Um, But in his last couple of years with them, he was honing in Jordan Love. And look at Jordan Love right now. We need a Jordan Love situation. We're just behind on that right now. Um, As far as keeping all of these Vikings, you know, Hawkinson, Jefferson, you know, Derisaw, you know, is it Derisaw? I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Ryan's guy. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that we, we might trade someone. You know, we did that with Cook. We did that with Thielen. I we did it with not, we did it with Stefan Diggs. Like yep. we were supposed to pay Stefan Diggs, we traded him, got a first round pick, which I've been in the camp of for Jefferson. I think we should do that. Yeah. Um, you think we should trade Jefferson? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I do. I think if, if a team came up to you and said, We'll give you a first and a second, or we'll give you a two firsts, or we'll give you a, you know, a first and a third or whatever, I would take it in a second. I would, because then I don't have to pay him. Uh, I can, you can draft wide receivers all over the place. I mean, look at Puka Nakua for the Rams this year. He's like a seventh round pick and he's one of the 10 best receivers in the league right now. There are guys, like if you can scout for receivers and find guys, you can get guys. Uh, and I, and I think you can replace, he hasn't been here half the season. You have Jordan Addison who you like Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, there's, there's guys out there that, that I think you could plug in and not miss. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was going to mention Addison. He is a good replacement for Jefferson if there ever was one. I think that Jefferson has really good market marketability in Minnesota though. Like True. if you I agree with lo- that. he is the most prominent player on the Minnesota Vikings, I think to lose him would be a blow to your 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 jersey sales if nothing else. But you know, you, you think about a team in the NFL, you're not just thinking about everyone's uh, athletic abilities. You have to also think about the fact that this is an entertainment industry. It's true. And the, how are you hyping up the Minnesota Vikings to the entire world? When we were talking about the Super Bowl, who would go to the Super Bowl and who would be awesome matchups. You talked about if there were a Bills-Eagles matchup, the rest of the country might not like to tune in. Um, or a Bills-Lions Super Bowl, or I'll even say it, a Brown Super Bowl, which I think would be cool if they went to the Super Bowl. I think but a Brown Super Bowl a, would be a little different, yeah. That would be awesome, and they have a good story, you know? Yeah. They have a good story, very much like the Eagles of 2018, actually, but um, 
again, you, you have to build the appeal to the rest of the country. Hey, the Minnesota Vikings are hot. Today I was at Dick's Sporting Goods for something and I was seeing a clearance rack that had a Kelsey shirt, a Kansas City Chiefs shirt for, you know, like, because the Kansas City Chiefs have built that kind of marketability about themselves with all of their hot players, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I think that's um, – there is something to be said for having a marketable player. And Kelsey obviously has lifted his brand like you wouldn't believe this year. And there is something about crossover appeal. And Jefferson has a lot of that. He does. So there, And I'm sure that there's a lot of fans that still haven't gotten over the Randy Moss trade, uh, the fact that we didn't come out of that on the better end. Um, and the fact that, you know, Moss is a Hall of Famer and he could have spent all of his time here and instead he spent half his career here uh, and then he went to New England and was great and blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a lot of consternation about that. When you get a star, you want to keep the star uh, and Jefferson sells tickets. He sure does. And Kirk, for as much as fans want to, you know, talk about how much they love Kirk and, oh, Kirk, if we just would have had Kirk, they were booing the hell out of Kirk for like five years I mean, the Kirk haters in this market are unbelievable. Um, and so it's kind of weird to me to hear this sort of, you know, push-pull of do we sign Kirk and keep Kirk? I'm like, I don't know. You guys wanted to run Kirk out of town a thousand times over. Uh, but I'm interested to see how this will play itself out for sure. Uh, I think the move still is to trade because I just want picks. I need players. Oh, yeah, uh, Especially sure. if I'm going to sign – if I'm going to sign Jefferson. Let's just say I'm going to sign Kirk or I'm going to sign Derisaw. Uh I'm going to need a lot of young players, a lot of young talent to supplement all these guys I've paid a lot of money to. And if that's the case, I need as many picks as I possibly can in the draft so I can pay these guys rookie contracts so I can have more money at the top to pay the high-end veterans. And if we hit on two, three, four rookies in the draft, then we've scored. We, we've, yeah, I agree. we've hit. That's a home run. That's what I the agree. Rams are doing. Rams are in the playoffs, not because. Matt Stafford's a genius, although Matt Stafford is having a really nice season. They're doing it because Kyron Williams was a superstar that they drafted, and Puka Nakua has been a, has been a revelation, has been the steal of the draft. That's why it's not because of anything else. You got to yeah. think about that. I, th- I would go that route. Here's how I see it. Here's what I hope happens. So we get a number 10 draft pick, right? We're, that's where we would be after the Lions game. We have a good standing there. Yep. We keep Kirk. We keep Jefferson. We keep Hawkinson. I could go either way with Derisaw. Um, I would not be heartbroken if he left, but you know what? Those three guys for sure keep because they bring in something, okay? Um, and we draft rookies for quarterback, for running back, And I would even say O-line. Those are the places where we really need to pick up steam. Um, Yeah. So Stay young in those positions. Stay young in those positions. That's where you rebuild. And, you know, our running back situation is not impressive. But part of that, I think, is partly coaching. I think if we coached our running backs a little bit better, that would improve the situation. And frankly, also our O-line. Our O-line needs to improve. If your O-line is not the best, that's going to reflect on your quarterback. That's going to reflect on your running back. If they're just mowing through a barrel of guys 
and getting a yard. That's not entirely the running back's fault. Who's blocking those dudes? You got to part the Red Sea. You know what I mean? I, we agree. We we would agree that the line has been a problem. It's been a problem for years, and I yeah. think it's getting better. Yeah. But you're right. It's not. It's not where it needs to be. I just banged my freaking elbow on the table. Can you believe that? That's the noise that you get on this podcast. Uh, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I can't wait to watch the end of it tomorrow. Uh, by the way, fantasy football champion, that's me. Uh, I just want to continue to celebrate my championship. I'm uh, very happy about that. Also want to let everybody know on our way out today that it is the last available Saturday I have for the next two months because speech season. And to all of my speech alumni that listen to my podcast, whether you are a speech alums, whether you were in another state, another part of the world or you're in Minnesota, it's speech season, bro. Like it's a fun time. Uh, if you have always wanted to give back to your community, I encourage you to go be a judge. I encourage you to go be a coach. I encourage you to support the activity, keep it alive, keep it thriving, keep it growing, uh, keep all of those great things like Allison's doing. Allison's going to be hanging out with me next Saturday. Judging. Yep. It's going to be fantastic. Can't speech wait. time. Yeah, I know, right? We might have to just bring a microphone, sit down, you and I, and just do the pod during the speech judging. Like, ah, these kids, they're boring. I don't want to listen to them. Let's just talk you and I for a half hour. We'll see how that goes. Um, want to thank Allison for coming by again. Allison, you are the best. I thoroughly enjoy hanging out and chatting. Uh, I love having your perspective on the podcast. I really appreciated being on here again. I hope to do it more. I can't wait for the football games that are be coming on this week. We're going to be seeing who's going into the playoffs. That Bills Dolphins game, let's go. Oh I'm going to watch. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure you're nuts about that one. I'm sure we'll be watching that with I will be watching that one. I'm pretty excited for that game actually. That's the most and- exciting game to me this entire weekend. The league frank. agrees with you. That's why they made it a Sunday. Yeah, I know. I know. They, they saw it your way. I uh, cannot wait um, for all of that. We didn't even get into uh, official, you know, met, screwing up the Lions Cowboys game and then getting the first game of the day today, the Ravens and the uh, the, the Ravens Steelers game. He's p- poor referee guy. He's going to get destroyed today. But we'll save some of that for the next time around. Allison, you can find her on Medium. Her handle again is Allison slash Wanchoba, not slash, but dash. Wanchoba at at Medium. Uh, please go ahead and read her stuff. She's a, a very articulate writer, very smart on film and on sports and on all that good stuff. And we're excited to have her on the pod more consistently. And again, you can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the Tim Anderson Podcast. I encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a comment, all of that good stuff. I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, in advance. So till next time for Allison, this is Tim saying, keep your head up and we'll see you.